Welcome to the Acta Nombreda podcast. I'm Meji, and here we'll talk about business, freelance, mindset, education, mental health, life, personal growth, and everything to help you overcome your fears, know yourself, and create the life and career of your dreams. Each episode aims to provide you with motivation, inspiration, and advice to take control, achieve your goals, and elevate your life so you can take action, because we believe in deep, not words. Episodes in English and Spanish every week. Welcome to the Acta Number of a Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Leo Guinan. Leo is a true jack of all trades in the tech world. As the founder of Effortless Reach and a skilled developer, Leo has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share. But that's not all. Leo is also someone who has faced unique challenges in his life, including being ADHD and autistic. Despite this, he continues to push boundaries and achieve great things, including building an independent publication site and hosting his own podcast, How to Scale Yourself. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired by Leo's story. So hi, Leo. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Mechi. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really happy to have you here. I have so many questions. Like I was just, uh, I was just talking to Leo before we started recording and to me, some of the questions that I'm going to ask him feel a little bit selfish because I'm truly, truly intrigued into where, you know, the whole AI thing is going with this, you know, this new tool, uh, ChatGPT and all of the amazing things that it can do. Of course, as a freelance copywriter, it sounds a little scarier, uh, but I don't know if we should be scared, <laughs> you know, we should be, bleh, sorry, <laughs> we should be scared about that or not. Uh, I've seen that it does pretty amazing things and not just when it comes to writing, but it can even give you, I just uh, looked at it on um, TikTok, it can even give you like complete campaigns and social media ads and basically everything. Uh, so I would love to talk about that too, but yeah, we have so many things I want to talk uh, talk to, to Leo because he's really, really, he knows about this stuff. Uh, but before we get into the techy, maybe boring for most people uh, topics, I would love to talk about your ADHD journey. And especially because I know that you work a lot and you have so many projects of your own. Uh, I would like to know how ADHD affects your work or how do you manage uh, your ADHD while working and autism if that changes anything. I don't know because I don't have autism, but I would love to hear what you have to say about that. Um, so yeah, that's been that's been kind of an interesting thing because um, you know, as a software engineer, uh, first of all, I didn't realize um that I had the whole ADHD or autism thing until very, very recently. Um I kind of started to suspect back in uh, 2020 um, and then was officially diagnosed with the ADHD um, in 2021, I think, or maybe 2022. It might've been 2022 actually. Um, so, wow. so very, very recently like diagnosed, um, like haven't you... done the formal diagnosis. For, yeah. Can I um, ask for, you for... how old are you? Is that, am I allowed to ask that question? You were totally allowed to ask that question. And I am, um, 37 I had to think wow. about that for a moment most of your life uh, without knowing that right and so it's always been um I've, I've definitely like experienced struggles throughout my life that I kind of uh you know told myself different stories about um you know I, I tended to excel in school up until I hit college and then um 
I did okay in certain classes and other classes I didn't. And I ended up um, getting kicked out of school because of, of bad grades, even after I uh, convinced them to let me stay well past the, the time when I probably should have been allowed to stay. Um, and that forced me to kind of take a year off from school and um, made me realize that like, I definitely wanted to go back to school and finish my degree and become a programmer because I kind of assume, assume that that's what I needed to do. Um, and so I eventually did go back and um, pulled my GPA up and, and managed to graduate um, with a bachelor's in computer science. It only took a total of about seven years or so. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was very odd for me because it was, as I said, like I was used to kind of being successful with, with anything school-wise um, until I wasn't. And it turns out like, the structure I had in kind of, you know, elementary through high school um, let me function. I knew exactly what I had to do. I was good enough that I didn't need to plan ahead. I could kind of do everything just in time. And obviously college, all of a sudden, I no longer have these structures in place. And, um, it, you, you know, I kind of had to just uh, figure it all out on my own, which I, I did with varying levels of success over those years. Um but then, you know, becoming a software engineer, one of the nice things about that is there's kind of some structures built in. And especially, you know, if you have the right um, companies where they, you know, they, they build out their teams and these kind of agile methodologies where it's a lot about like breaking things up into manageable chunks. Um, you know, if you put me in front of a, a manageable chunk, I'll get it done by whatever deadline is kind of imposed. If they say like, oh, this has to be done, you know, by this time, boom, it'll get done by that time. I may not start it until 10 minutes before that, but it'll get done. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just uh, really went through that. Um, but the one thing that I kind of heard throughout my career was that, um, you know, I wasn't doing things like the right way. Now, I was always one of the fastest developers and I was able to, you know, get my code delivered. All the product people loved me because I was able to kind of meet whatever requirements they had. But like I would do things that, you know, my manager would like pull me aside and be like, why are you doing this? Like people walking by will see that and think like, oh, you're not doing anything. But I'm like, but but I am doing stuff. And in fact, I'm doing a lot of stuff very, very quickly. Um, and so like when I first started, it was my first experience having two monitors. And one of the things that I found that helped me was like, I would have like a movie or TV show playing on one monitor and my work on the other. And that just helped me focus, right? It's that yeah. level of like, um, which yeah, now I mean. kind of, <laughs> it, it makes sense, right? Now, like yeah. looking back, I'm like, oh, ADHD. That's yeah, why I that. did it. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of this like constant game of cat and mouse. Like I would figure out something that would work and then I'd be told like, well, what do people think if they see that? And it's like, what does it matter? Right. Yeah, I'm um, I have the same issues at work. I'm not a developer, but uh, every time I used to, to work at a corporation, I ha I would have the same problem. Like I needed something else in another uh, screen, you know, to do my work because otherwise I'm not able to do it. And even though sometimes I would even do more work than the rest of the people who are just focused on that then i will get the same it's the same response it's, it's always the same thing and of course I, I too didn't know that i had adhd so for anyone listening here who has adhd they understand what it is like uh 
it's really hard to focus when you're not that engaged in what you are doing. Exactly. And, um, you know, so that was kind of this, you know, on and off uh, recurring theme. And as it went on, I was actually like, so when I first uh, kind of, you know, got into the the corporate world, um, I started being treated for like, um, you know, anxiety at first, and then it was kind of depression and anxiety. Um, and I had a lot of issues with like, um, maintaining energy levels. And I thought I had like all these sleeping issues. Um, and then the, the pandemic hit and I was finally allowed to like start working from home full time. And all of a sudden I found that I had like way more energy than I was used to. Um, and I was able to get all of my work done in like very little time. And I, you know, so I was using that to kind of expand what I was doing and that's kind of when I made like had the realization, like I started digging into that whole thing. It was because I was finally allowed to work the way that I wanted to work with not without having to worry about what it would look like to anybody who would walk past. Um, but in addition, like the whole kind of autism side of things, I was actually expending a lot of energy, like masking and kind of yeah. working to keep up appearances during the, you know, the length of the workday. And so by the time I would get home, I would just be so completely drained because it takes so much energy to do that. Um, and so kind of throughout the, the beginning of the pandemic, I, uh, you know, started exploring what that meant and, and kind of, you know, again, all of a sudden had all this energy and, um, you know, a lot of answers to things that I, I hadn't had before. And so that made me want to start exploring, you know, kind of different paths that I had, you know, kind of assumed that would never be open to me. Um, and one of those was starting my own company because I, had this idea that I actually tried to get the company I was working with to go with. And I spent all this time like kind of outlining it and talking to various people around the company and finally got in front of a VP who was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. That's not how any of this works. Like, um, but also if you build it, we're going to own it because you work for us. And I said, wait, what? <sighs> and then in typical ADHD fashion, I quit the next day and said, I'll just do my own thing, uh, build my own business. Um, and about that point, I realized that I had no idea how to actually do that. Um, and, and this was kind of the interesting thing too, because I had identified that I had ADHD, but I was like, I am doing great. I figured all this out. I know how I work, um, which turns out I know how I work within the structure of an engineering job that exists there. And then I quit my job and all of that structure disappeared. So I had to kind of start from uh, zero. Yeah. Um, yeah, just trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I actually like get myself to do anything worthwhile? And when, um, when you when you quit, how, how did you feel? Did you feel like it was uh, the right choice? Did you regret it after doing it? It was the only choice at the time. Um, and I had really like no support in that. I Because I kind of like realized I was like, I've got to quit because... The, the one thing that really stood out from that conversation with the VP, um, because I was talking about kind of, you know, bringing new ideas to life. And he goes, you know, he's like, I come from a startup background. He goes, if you really think you've got an idea here, like you should go for it. And I remember like having this moment of extreme clarity and like, I do think I have something here. 
I should go for it. Um, and it would have been very, very helpful to, um, you know, have people around me who had experienced building a startup or who had anything like that. Um, and I, I didn't, I, I, I hadn't really spent time like building up a network. Um, in fact, for most of my career, I thought networking was kind of dumb and pointless and I don't understand why people were doing it. Um, and, uh, so I, I didn't do any of that ahead of time and then realized, wow, first 10 years of my career would have been really helpful had I done any of that. Um, but you know, I think you learn as you go. Um, right. And I think for me though, I needed to overcome the inertia and the comfort of the life I was living. Cause it was like, it was like, okay, but you know, I wasn't quite where I thought I, I could potentially be. And so, you know, did I do it the smoothest way possible? Absolutely not. Um, did I cause a lot of like stress and strain on pretty much all aspects of my life for a considerable amount of time afterwards? Yes. Um, but I'll tell you, I learned more over the course of like the first uh, like six or seven months or whatever um, that that startup lasted while I did literally everything wrong. Um, you know, I, I learned more over that time than I did probably the first 10 years of my career because I had no clue. So I was just trying all of it um, and kind of seeing what stuck. And so and you know what? that actually, I, I love that, that what you're saying is it sounds pretty much very similar to what happened to me. And I'm so glad that things didn't go right at the beginning, because if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have learned anything. I think sometimes you learn the most when, you know, when there's no other way around, like it, it has to work or it has to work. And maybe you will fold so many times, but it is those folds that will teach you how to get up and continue and, you know, maybe find another road or find another way to do things that actually work for you, for you, because of course, you're not going to be the same as me or anyone else building a company. And I don't think that there's a, a an ABC to building a company or, you know, growing a company. I think that it depends on each uh, company. It depends on each founder and the people that work there and the environment, the, uh, of course, the industry changes a lot, but I think that what you did is one very courageous and I love what you did. And now one question that I have is, do you regret it? Which is the not most at all. Thing. Um, and, and you know, it's like, it, it, so the, there were a couple kind of um, funny things from this. Cause obviously um, with the, the main source of income being gone for a number of months that made a lot of like financial stress um, on me. Um, but at some point after that, so after I had like folded my first startup and I'm like trying to figure out what's next. Um, so I ended up getting a call from my old boss's boss from the company that I quit, like just out of the blue. Right. Um, and he's like, Hey, so are you available for work? We're in a bit of a lurch right now. Like we had this team who was working with this technology that you were working on before you left. Um, they had this guy who was supposedly doing all of this work and then ended up having to like go back to India and like leave. And they went and looked at like what he had supposedly done and he did nothing. Um, and so there was this team that had like all of this stuff that was supposed to have happened that just didn't happen. And so he's like, are you available? He's like, tell me how much it'll cost to get you like to help with this project um, and we'll pay it. 
And I, so I named a number that was ridiculous, like just astronomically high. Um, and he's like, all right, I'll see what I can do. And he came, he came back and he's like, okay, well, I can't quite do that. If I like to, to pay you that, I would have to like go talk to the like CTO and get it approved or whatever. Um, he's like, but I can do this number. And I'm like, okay, that was like more than double what I was making when I left. Like if you like converted the, the hourly to the salary. So I was like, all right, that's fine, I suppose. Um, and so I ended up like being a contractor there for, uh, it was about three or four weeks. And um, yeah, that was enough to really catch up all of like my bills and everything. And while I was doing that, I ended up getting an opportunity to interview for the startup that I had kind of like been following from the get go. And I thought, oh, that looks easy. I could do that. Um, so the startup made it look super easy. And so that's that's Copy AI, which I have now been employed at for for over a year. Oh, really? Um, and, yeah. And so oh, the, great. Uh, I actually use them sometimes when I'm in a writer's blog. It's really amazing. I didn't know you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I, that was actually um, and one of the things that I think really got me that job was the willingness to quit my job and just try all this stuff. And it's like you know, at an early stage startup, one of the things that really helps is kind of having this entrepreneurial spirit um, and being willing to do that. And so that's how I went from like being in this small town in Ohio with absolutely like no startup contacts to working for, you know, what in my eyes, at least was one of the top startups, um, you know, that was getting started at that point in time. Um, and so that's been absolutely phenomenal because I've been able to see what it takes to actually like grow a working startup and all the stuff that actually goes into it. Um, and you know, they pay me, which also helps because I don't have to worry about paying the bills. Um, and it's nice because they're actually very supportive of doing things on the side. Um, you know, having side hustles, which obviously my, the company before that, uh, was not at all, um, and so that's the that's one of the biggest reasons why like I don't regret it because had I not taken that leap, mm -hmm. I never would have been in the position that I was to you know get that opportunity. And so you know I think for for all the challenges um, that that came as a result of that decision, in the end it was a totally like excellent decision because it really got me to a place where all of a sudden. I'm living a life way more in alignment with the person that I, I am and that I want to be, as opposed to kind of just living this like cookie cutter life that I was supposed to be living. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely no regrets there because I, it, it all worked out for me as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And it's far more entertaining, I guess, because you're doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, different companies, building your own thing. I mean, for someone with ADHD, I don't know how it is uh, for someone with autism because I don't have it, but for someone with ADHD, like if I had to um, sit in a desk in the same place every single day and do the same work every single day, I, I would I would die. I mean, seriously, I've been doing that most of my life. Being a corporate rat, it is not for me. I never understood why I felt so miserable at those words, even though, you know, they paid well, they had their benefits. It's a, it's a, it's an easy life, but it's not the life for someone with the problem that we have. It's definitely not. Uh, so I imagine that too. It's much more fun, entertain, entertaining, and also I, I imagine fulfilling for you, right? Like you have a purpose now. 
Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I'd always kind of done was like put a lot of energy into exploring new technologies and things like that. I kind of introduced different levels of novelty into the work I was doing. I was always helping like start up new projects and like doing prototypes and like, hey, we could do things this way and we could bring this in, um, which is great. And the companies that really enjoyed that part, but they never like paid me any extra for it. It's like I would always just do like my main job and then all these other things like because that's how I kept my brain motivated and going. And like I had to be putting that energy somewhere. And so now it's like, oh, wait, I can actually like do things that benefit me and not just whatever company I'm working for. And so, you know, I think I I did really burn myself out um, at the end of that, that kind of corporate part, which which was a tough thing because I put like all of a sudden I was doing so much and I was working at like such a high level all the time. And it was, you know, trying to get that idea off the ground at that company. And then like, um, they had me working on like three different teams at that point. Um, and it's like, I was, I had all this energy and I was devoting all of it to a company that couldn't give two shits about me. Right. Um, and it's like, yeah, looking back, I'm like, okay, this is that, that was way too much energy spent on, you know, for, for their benefit. And so being able to do things, um, that actually like, I want to do and give me a sense of purpose and a, and a sense of excitement, um, you know, for my personal future, as opposed to the, the, the shareholders future, I guess, mm-hmm. um, that makes it makes a huge difference. It's like, yeah. I can do as yeah. much as I was doing and not burn myself out in the process. That's very relatable. Uh, and I think that's something that most people with ADHD have, uh, for example, but not just me, but people that I know, I'm not going to name any names, but I know that they, they, including me, I've always been trying, you know, whenever you're in a company, you have many creative ideas and you want to use them. Like you try to reach out to people, like you start projects and things to improve uh, the the workflow of the company. Uh, I think people with ADHD have that problem that they want to fix things and then they don't receive the recognition that they deserve. So they're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go on my own. <laughs> like, because it's better. I mean, in the end, you just, building your own dream instead of someone else. I know it sounds a little cliche, but in the end, it's true. Well, it is. And not only that, most companies, instead of like rewarding efficiency, will punish it because if you can do the work in less time, they're just going to give you more work. Yeah. Um, You know, there's this idea, you know, you know, especially in the US that it's like, it's all about this 40 hour work week, which is this relic left over from, um, kind of an industrial revolution. Um, and, you know, the amount of time you work has absolutely no bearing on how much you get done. And in fact, I, I'm a big believer that um, the more you work, kind of the, the less efficient you become. And if you give people the option of completing their work in 20 hours or sticking around 40, I imagine that you'll find a lot of people become much more efficient at their jobs. Um, but why do that? if it just means that you're going to get more work put on, put onto you. Right. Um, and and so, yeah, I think we definitely need to rethink the way, uh, we approach work in in this digital age because it's, you know, it it doesn't make a lot of sense the way we do most things right now. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. Now, um, before we continue on to the next thing, I, I cannot not ask you this, 
So you work you worked or you work at Copy AI? Are you currently working there? Yes, yes, I'm I'm currently there. Um, and then kind of doing um everything else on the side. Right. Okay. So as not just as a copywriter. But I want to ask you in general for freelancers watching this, because I know actually most people who listen to this podcast, they don't listen because of the ADHD bit. They listen to uh, the podcast because they care about freelancing. But but something funny happened. Like many people who follow me because of the freelancing aspect, they actually found out they had ADHD. So how crazy is it? And it, and it doesn't surprise me because, you know, people who are very entrepreneurial at heart, yeah, we, we were just talking about that. Most of us have ADHD, but now, exactly. yeah. But the question I want to ask you as a freelance copywriter, and then of course, for other freelancing uh, freelancers who are maybe offering other services online, do you think AI will replace us? Um, I don't. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the job description might change a little bit, but I'm a big believer that, um, you know, the new AI tools... There, there are going to be a group uh, of people and companies who try to replace people completely with AI. And that's actually going to offer a huge opportunity to um, replace them in the marketplace. Um, and so I think AI tools have a lot of really cool capabilities. Um, but in the end, there is a lot, you know, there, there are a lot of things that, they don't do well. Um, and so specifically, you know, kind of before the show, you were talking about like chat GPT and, and you know, that sort of thing. Um, now, the, the biggest issue with chat GPT is that it has no problem, you know, spitting out an answer with complete confidence that may be absolutely 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things, um, as I'm sure you know, as a copywriter, uh, a lot of it goes into that is the research to make sure that things are factually relevant. Um, you know, there's, uh, there is some work that goes into, um, you know, appealing to things like search engine optimization, um, you know, kind of structure, you want to make it readable for your audience, you, you know, you want to know who your audience is going to be. So, you know, kind of, um, how to write for that specific audience. There, there's the ability to know what outcome you're you're hoping to achieve, right? Like, are you trying to sell somebody something? Are you trying to teach them about something, right? There's a whole bunch of different things that go into that. And so that, you know, the AI tools can spit out things in specific formats um, and they're going to get better at, at doing things like in specific ways. But I think there's always going to be kind of that, human driver of what the AI is doing. And so as a copywriter, you know, I think you can use it to, first of all, maybe just get yourself 90% of the way there. Um, you know, you can kind of uh, seed the AI with the various knowledge and facts that you have referenced. Um, and so I think that there is a lot of opportunity there to, um, Really, again, I think it comes to like increasing efficiency um, and your effectiveness and being, you know, so how much you're, you're able to output and then the quality. And once you really develop your own style, um, I think there's there's definitely an opportunity to kind of um, use like you, you can kind of train AI tools on the style that you want to create. And so ultimately, if you kind of have this 
um, very well-developed style, you can teach the AI to write in that style and then essentially use the AI as kind of the, the thing that um, writes for you. And so, you know, at that point, it's about um, picking the copywriting jobs that you want and identifying leads. And, you know, there, there's all sorts of different things that you can focus on at that point. Mm -hmm. Or you can, you know, focus on the writing part if that's the part that you enjoy and create and, and, you know, kind of work with AI tools to kind of work on the rest of it. And so I think AI really gives us a great opportunity to focus on the part of the business that matters the most to us and automate the rest of it. Um, and there, there is, a lot that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities there, as I said, and AI is good at doing certain things. And, you know, especially if you're looking at like search engine optimization, it can kind of take care of some of that for you. Um, but I'm also a believer that search engine optimization isn't going to matter nearly as much in kind of the uh, near to mid future, because I, I don't believe um, that search engines will be the predominant way we access information online. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, it's going to be a lot more figuring out who actually knows what they're talking about, especially as more and more people start to use these AI tools to spit out all sorts of garbage. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of people. Too, yeah. And so it's going, you know, it's going to result in all sorts of content that is like perfectly structured for search engines and able to intercept, you know, rank for the top of, of different queries and things like that. Um, but it's all going to be full of potential issues. And so people are going to realize this and they're going to look for other ways to kind of, um, get to the information that uh that they're looking for and so i think there there's going to be a really huge opportunity to kind of um establish yourself and i and i think this is kind of the natural evolution of the like creator economy side of things um so as you uh you know as a freelancer as you kind of build up your knowledge of various trends and what people are doing i, I think you know, if you start to really create content for yourself and build up your own personal brand, um, you're going to be in a very, very good position to uh, essentially give people guidance on to what they should be paying attention to, um, because a lot of people are going to all of a sudden wake up and realize that the the interwebs are flooded with a bunch of bullshit that they don't care about and they don't know how to find the stuff that they do. Um, so that that's going to be a huge opportunity. Yeah, and I, I do think that AI can replace uh, a few um, writers, but not all of them. I do think it's going to repre replace mediocre writing, to be honest. Uh, but if you're really good at what you do, uh, or if you are specialized in, because, you know, there are writers who have their own niches, uh, their own industries. And I think that the more specialized you become, the more value you can add. I don't think that those people will be replaced, at least for now. And in fact, I think like, you know, most people are scared of AI. I actually love it. And I cannot wait to see where it ends up because for me, it helps a lot. I mean, it gives you a good draft. It saves you a lot of time. If you have ADHD, you know, sometimes getting started is you know, the hardest part of the work itself. Once you get started, then, you know, it's just going up and up from there. But the thing is getting started for me, it's, it's actually hard, but, you know, thanks to these tools, I get myself unstuck. And then maybe it gives me a, a complete draft. And from there, I take it on. Maybe I delete it, I delete everything, but it gives me ideas and it, it gets me unstuck. 
So to me, I think it's very exciting. And I think it's very exciting what you mentioned that you can train it. So anyone can train the AI to have their own voice, even though they may not have too much uh, content online, because, you know, I, I know that uh, with ChatGPT, for example, you can tell you can tell it to write in the voice of Elon Musk. Now, Elon Musk has a lot of uh, content out there. But what if you are, you know, just you're not you're normal Joe and you don't have as much information about you online? How do you train it to sound like you? So you you do have to be able to um, give it examples. And, and right now, I don't know that there's a, a great way to just for, for anyone um, necessarily to, to do this, but it is possible. And essentially what you can do is you can um, give it enough samples of, you know, your writing to be able to um, understand what that, that writing looks like um, on a smaller scale. Uh, one of the things that like I typically will do is provide examples or kind of like structures that I use. And so like when you're using um, GPT-3 uh, and chat GPT, you know, the, this does work to some extent, but um, kind of the underlying model is, is uh, this, this thing called uh, GPT-3. And uh, if you sign up for like an open AI account, you can actually go into their playground um, and, and use uh, kind of the, this, more free form uh way to do it but what you can do is you can actually say okay here's the structure i want you to use so you know given this bit of information output it into this structure or with this tone or you know so as you kind of learn more about the different um aspects of the writing that you want to create you can get very very detailed and so what tools like copy ai do is we kind of give people these preset tools so we understand what works well with, with yeah. GPT and um, you know we kind of say like here's a structure that you can copy the these kind of established types of formats and so if you look at the different tools that we offer um, the a, a big thing yeah, powering like the that copywriting templates right and so you know it kind of depends on like what you want to get and for a lot of people that's totally fine and so coming in is like just, uh, you know, kind of the, the everyday entrepreneur who needs to create some sort of like landing page copy or ad copy or whatever. Um, that's great because it saves them the the need to kind of know all of that stuff themselves, right? But as a, a freelancer, you can really take advantage of that by knowing how some of those things are structured. Um, and like Copy AI does even offer the freestyle tool, um, which allows you to have a lot more control over what you're looking to get. And so you can kind of say, like, I need this very specific thing in this format with this information, um, and it'll spit it out for you. And, and that's really like, it, it, we're going to have the ability to kind of spit out whatever we want. So it becomes way more important to actually know what you want it to spit out, right? And, and that's that actually rewards people who really understand what they're doing because there's that level of customization that experts will have that will give them the advantage over beginners. And I think you made a very key point in saying that, you know, mediocre writers will be the ones who will be replaced. Um, if you're writing something that anybody could write, yeah, you're probably going to be replaced. And so the real key here is kind of developing your own personal um, brand, your personal style, 
uh, you know, I've heard it referred to as kind of your personal monopoly, which is really like your collection of knowledge and techniques that you can use to kind of, you know, put your stamp on the world. And that is where uh, th those are the people who are really going to thrive. And, and up until now, it's been easy to get lost in kind of that noise that, you know, getting stomped out by by the the more mediocre writers who will put, put out just a ton of um, content that anybody could put out. And uh, unfortunately, things are like that are rewarded right now, but they're not going to be for much longer yeah. because of this kind of new structure when everybody's going to be able to do that. Mm, that's true. And now, uh, you know, aside from writing and all that, what, what do you see that AI, would, uh, you know, how can it assist freelancers that maybe don't, you know, they don't write? Uh, how about, for example, developers like yourself? How do you think AI can help you guys? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it, it already is uh, to, to a lot of points. Um, so there's a plugin that works in my development environment called uh, like GitHub Copilot. Um, and it's very good at figuring out what I want, what code I want to write, and then writing it with just the, you know, the tap of a keystroke. Um, and you can actually get very, very uh, prolific with that in the sense that, you know, you can kind of just write like comments about what you want, and it will write code that does that for you. Like a copy now, AI for code? Uh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and so... Oh yeah, it's it's wow. uh, it's been in existence um, for a, a couple of years now, and it's certainly getting better and better. Um, and even like ChatGPT, you can um, ask it to write code in different languages for different things. Um, and there's actually a company that is working on uh, a tool now that you can um, actually just like use AI as the like developer essentially and, and just create this entire like backend code base um for whatever you want it to do and so uh you know it's one of those things that like it can definitely help in a lot of different ways um for that but it, it again it comes down to knowing what you want to code because they're you know it's one of the things it I, works I love similar to to writing is, is it right? Oh. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's the thing that goes into like product development. And this is something, you know, I, I've learned from kind of, you know, trying to build my own products and, and being part of this process and like, you know, really understanding what your users want, understanding how your users think, working with your users to really help get them to where they need to be. Um, you know, I, I can write code that does pretty much anything at this point, but it's a matter of knowing like what's actually valuable to the user. And so it really becomes extremely valuable to understand how to work closely with users um, to be able to develop useful things. And this is actually, I love kind of this um, democratization uh, of access to technical ability. Um, it, it sounds a bit funny, but one of the things that I've, I've told quite a few people is that one of the biggest problems with tech right now is that there are too many tech people in tech. Um, and I totally count myself in that, but it's a matter of like kind of seeing the world through this very like tech oriented lens and like, oh, I'm going to build these solutions that don't actually solve any problems, except for maybe some that were created by previous problems or, you know, from previous solutions that we we've built. Um, and so 
all of these like kind of new no code tools and, and low code tools and, and even like now, like getting into this era of AI generated code that can do what you want. All of a sudden people who have all of this different life experience are going to be able to build the tools and solutions that they think would be valuable. Um, and so we're going to see a lot more things come out that are not the traditional Silicon Valley, you know, VC funded, um kind of things where you know it's all about who can raise the most money and acquire the most users and then figure out how to like sell that user data to monetize it's going to all of a sudden become possible to have much smaller um kind of very niche applications there's going to be a lot more um just very very specialized tools that can come up and i i think we're going to see this uh usher in an era of what I kind of refer to as like small tech. And so as opposed to like the big tech companies that are thousands and thousands of developers, like this is more like small businesses built on technology serving very specialized, you know, locale, you know, local environments or whatever. Um, and, and so I think it, it's really exciting from that standpoint um, because there, there's going to be a lot of things that, that are now possible with, um, essentially a, a $0 budget as opposed to what it used to take to, to build software, which was, yeah. you know, millions of dollars in funding and, you know, a team of engineers and multiple years before things can be profitable. Now it's like, you know, you come up with an idea and you can have it up and running by the weekend. Yeah, it's exciting where things are going. Um, and well, before we move on to, you know, from this topic, I know that you're a fan of systems. Uh, and I would like to ask you, what are some systems or how, I don't know, how would you um, integrate your, how, oh, I'm going to go again. <laughs> I don't know how to, to put the question, but would you be able to share um, systems or strategies that you use to implement AI into your uh, everyday workflow? Or is there any tips, you know, if you have any tips for people watching? So this is actually very, very relevant. I actually just put together um, a, an email course and, and I've got a new newsletter called um, the AI Augmented Creator. Uh, and so the email course is a five-day course on how to kind of bring AI into your workflow because I, I am a believer that it, it should be something that everybody should have access to and understand how to use. Hey, um, and so- join. Where, do, where can people join? Uh, so it's um, course.theaiaugmentedcreator.com and we can throw that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, so one of the kind of the easiest um, way to uh, kind of get into this one, the, the one thing that I love most about AI tools right now is actually the AI image generation. Um, and so... I have very little artistic ability. I know enough to be dangerous with like Photoshop and editing tools, but I'm not good at it. Um, and I have a very hard time making things that look good. And so like many bloggers, like as I was getting started, I would use sites like Unsplash and things like that. And, you know, on, on Medium, you'll see everybody doing that. And so all the images tend to look the same. And since then, I've discovered, uh, first of all, an app called Midjourney which is absolutely fantastic. I pay like 10 bucks a month um, and I can use that to just generate all sorts of images. And I was pretty happy when I was just like 
getting started and you know i was not particularly good some images came out looking um rather horrifying and, and not quite what i was expecting um but you know it was it was fun and uh how about the rights but, uh for those images so can you claim the rights for that or any any ai generated content do you claim the rights of it who who owns the rights for the image so, or the text or anything it does that that is kind of a tough thing um and i think we're going to see some legal battles over that um honestly i i've been approaching it like i own the rights to those images and i just use them um wherever and i'm i'm kind of a believer that i will like that battle will be fought at some point. Yeah, because, um, you know, most of the times uh, technology advances so fast and regulations come after and they're, they're like super slow when it comes to, you know, when they when they get here, technology is already here. So well, that that's kind of the interesting thing with kind of how these models evolve too, because the images that were trained on, that, that were used to train kind of these initial uh, generation models that, that are created, um, what what happens over time is you can actually do um you can essentially like use those models to create new images which are then used to train the kind of the next evolution of models and so we're going to get to a point where by the time these initial images that were copyrighted and used to train models um you know reach kind of a, a court case you're probably going to see the fact that like, oh, well, we haven't actually like used those images in like the past like six models that we've created. Um, and so it's going to be very, very hard. Now, um, again, I kind of think this becomes a uh, boon for um, artists if they if they choose to use it because it is relatively straightforward to um, train images on a specific or train the, these image generation models on a specific style of, of artwork. And so I think for artists, the way I would be approaching that is to train your own image generation model that you could use to like sell people, like sell access to that model so that people can use your style to create images if it's something they like. Um, but then like all of a sudden you have a very big premium on the stuff that you actually put the time and effort into creating and you could focus on the projects that you want to do. And so I think it's really a great opportunity again to kind of developing that personal monopoly, that personal brand, that personal style that is so uniquely you that people can identify that and will be willing to pay some, you know, amount of money each month to have access to like your specific AI. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as an artist, you'll have the freedom to choose that. And so that's really where I think the, the smart money um will will go in kind of the the art world and you know people will fight it um but I, I think at this point uh the cat's out of the bag um and and so artists should should be figuring out the best ways to really embrace the, these technological shifts as opposed to fighting against them um but yeah so for that so i do use um the images rather freely in like blogs and newsletters and, and on landing pages and things like that um, because I found it just helps me really capture the um, essence of, of what I want to do. And, you know, quite honestly, I would love to be able to pay someone I, like a designer to design all the images for me and, and, you know, all of that, but I just don't have the resources to do that. So it's either using these generation tools that I can generate something that like I feel good about, 
or it's using like stock images online. Like I'm not taking money away from artists here um, because I wouldn't have that money to give them either way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I kind of think that's really the, where it comes in, it, it gives more people access to kind of custom artwork. Um, and, and, you know, I think the people who uh, really want, again, people who really know what they're doing, it's like, I can generate something that I say looks cool, but I have limited control over exactly what I'm generating. I don't know a lot about the terminology. Um, but one thing that I've actually found helpful is uh, I use chat GPT to generate uh, prompts that I then put into mid journey to get much better images. And so that's one of the little like cheat codes I found yeah. because um, you know, you can kind of uh, create these, um, you know, very detailed prompts, um, generate an image. And then if it doesn't turn out like the way you want it to, you can actually even go back to chat GPT, tell it what was wrong, yeah. um, and ask it to try again and, and give you this new prompt. And so you can kind of go back and forth. And, um, so it was kind of an example of that. One of the things that I, I did once as I was trying to generate these like, um, images of, of time travelers. And so the first thing the you know the chat gpt gave me i put into mid journey and it started to generate these like movie poster type images and so i said i went back to chat gpt and i said wait these are like generating these movie image like uh or movie poster like images can you um tell me how i can fix that and it's like oh yeah like and kind of explained <laughs> what it thought was the reason that it was doing that and like here's a modified prompt and like that ended up turning out to be what i wanted it so it ends up kind of this like conversational back and forth that can um you know really help you get closer to um what you want to do and so i think like that's one of the the easiest to get into um and most beneficial workflows that i found um some of the other things I, I touch on in the email course are um, kind of converting uh, content between different formats. Um, so one of the things like with my podcast that I do is I, I grab the transcript and use that to generate uh, a summary that I can throw into um, as my show notes. I was trying to like completely generate show notes with everything. Uh, I need to do a little work on that. It's not quite as good as I was hoping. Um, but then I also extract key points that I can throw into um, a couple of tweets when I announce the episode, things like that. Um, and so there, there's a lot you can do with kind of this like transformation of content. Uh, in kind of a similar vein, you can do a lot of summarization. So again, it's like taking this podcast transcript, summarizing it down, um, you know, extracting that data of key points and really trying to figure out how to... Um, distill information down into kind of the, these different chunks that you can then expand later. Um, and then ultimately, uh, and that's kind of the whole point with effortless reach that I'm building is this idea of, um, content distribution. Uh, so, so basically a lot of the ideas that underlie how AI works, um, you can harness all of that to be able to, um, kind of have this like searchable content database that doesn't rely just on what's actually written, but really the meaning behind that. And so, you know, it's very easy for me to now pop up like 
a search engine of all of my podcast episodes or anybody else's podcast episodes, and then even create kind of these recommendation algorithms, much the way that social media works, um, kind of based on, um, you know, what, what you're looking to do. And so with, with effortless reach, I'm, I'm building out this search capability as well as this recommendation capability for, for creators as a whole. Um, and, and specifically right now, right now, podcasters, because I think podcasting is one of the, uh, very understated, uh, media that, um, you know, that there's, it, it's, it's harder to grow in podcasting. It's not particularly searchable. And so I think that's a, a great place to, kind of explore some of these for, uh, you know, creators, because I think there is something just um, really great about how deep podcasts can go as opposed to blogs. Um, you know, I've always found it uh, very nice to be able to listen to these conversations, feel like the fly on the wall. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's something to be said, having the, having the voice like right in your ear, like with the earbuds, right? Um, and it's like being in that room, which I just think is absolutely uh, yeah, cool. So the podcasts are growing too, because people, you know, we don't have much time and, you know, I listen to podcasts while I'm cleaning my house. Uh, I, I barely watch video. I listen to the podcast while I'm, you know, mm -hmm. going to the gym or at the gym or, you know, while I'm doing things at home, uh, taking care of the cat, or whatever. And I think that, you know, Video is here to stay, of course, but I think that podcasts, they, they will grow much more because it's easy to consume. You can listen on 2x if you if, if you listen fast, you can slow it down, you can pause it, you can come back later, you can download it. It's, it is such a great tool. And I was thinking as we, we were talking like, wow, what an amazing, uh, what an amazing era we're living in. Can you imagine like being born a few years ago when none of this was a reality? I mean, I'm happy to be here at this moment, to be honest. I'm, and I, I want to wait to see where, uh, you know, the creativity when, you know, mind meets uh, computer, it's, it's great. And I'm just sitting here looking at a picture in your um, website. And I want to ask you two things. One of them yes. is you have a building public university and I want to know what that is. But second, I, there's a beautiful picture here that it's very, it's like a library, but it's like futuristic. Did you make it with uh, AI? I did, yeah. So that that was with, uh, that was with um, and yeah. So so building public I'm university. Leave it in the notes. Um, that's my way to kind of um really share everything that I'm learning along the way. One of the things that I kind of realized in in my initial um startup journey was that there's a lot of like outdated information out there um it's very easy to uh get a feel for how to do things and then find out that that's not exactly um true anymore and and the biggest reason that i i, I believe this is the case is because most of what we hear is from people who have previously built very large businesses and were successful and only after the fact are they talking about how they did it. And so, uh, let's see, did I lose you again? No, no, no. I'm, oh, I'm here. Okay. You froze for just a second. So I was yeah, a little worried. Too, uh, I didn't lose you. Okay, cool. Um, so, so yeah, so I think, you know, it was always like waiting until people were done building their companies before they really started to share their approach. 
And so there's been this rise in what is known as building in public. And the whole idea is really offering transparency into how you're doing things, the things you're learning along the way, your processes and everything. Um, and so like many things, I've taken this to the extreme. And so my idea with like building public university is that I want to be completely transparent with really everything that I'm doing. Um, and you know, I, I'm not a big believer in having these kind of like moats that, that have traditionally been um, something that, you know, businesses are looking to uh, build. I, I'm much more interested in creating this kind of interoperable ecosystem where if my product's not the best fit for you, you to be able to take your data and go to a product that is. Um, I want to be very, very clear with what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, and so I found that that really does a great job of like building trust and, and creating relationships along the way. And so, you know, for me, um, building in public is just trying to kind of give back to the community. Like as I'm doing it, I want to inspire people so that they can see what's possible. Um, you know, I, I want to try to get people to think outside of the, the typical, um, thought processes in terms of, of building a business. And so, yeah, building public diversity is kind of like my place to, to do all of that. And it's, I, I think a lot of the education system is um, outdated at this point. I think it's teaching a lot of the wrong, um, it's, it's using a lot of wrong approaches. It's kind of focusing on this idea that you have to have like the right answer at all times. And if not, like you fail, like, no, failing is a good thing, yeah. you know, experimenting trying things that's what's way more important going forward because the world is changing so fast yeah. that what used to work no longer works and what didn't used to work as humans to learn that's the way humans are wired to learn in reality if you think about exactly. it exactly and so child, what we do you fail and you learn exactly and so what do we do for the first 18 years of someone's life we teach them to absolutely fear and hate failure yeah. Um, and, and to really hate learning because most people end up coming out of it with like this miserable experience of learning. It's like, oh, I had to go to school. I had to learn all these things. Um, and, and so they, they come out and they're like, I don't want to learn anymore. And so they don't and they, they stagnate. And so, you know, I really want people to find the fun in it. And that's something I, I really try to explore throughout everything I'm doing. Um, I, I chase the fun. I chase the dopamine. I will do weird things just to try it. Um, you know, it's how I end up writing multiple newsletters and having, you know, various blogs going because I'm exploring all these different ideas. You know, the, the podcast is a good place for me to just talk to whoever about whatever, because that's fun. Um, it, it's very much like not incredibly specific. Um, you know, it's all about scaling yourself and like, all these different ways. And, and the, one of the things that I think is really great about that is people are doing that in a number of different ways. You don't have to do it just one way. Yeah. And so getting people to explore that and really look for that fun, I think is going to be the key in, in people finding, you know, happiness and fulfillment. Um, because yeah, it's, it's about making your own path in the world um, and not, letting other people tell you what you need to be doing because most of them have no idea what they're talking about anyway. Um, and even the ones who do kind of know what they're talking about, 
mm-hmm. probably aren't completely up to date on everything because again, everything is changing all the time. Yeah. So um, there's always the chance that, that they're wrong and uh, most people don't recognize that at all. Yeah, exactly. And now, now uh, for myself, I want to I want to know because I'm super intrigued. So, how does uh, pub, the um, building public university work? Let's say, uh, do you have like courses? Can anyone join? How how does that work? Uh, so it, it, it's it's gone through a, a couple of stages. Um, it, at first, I, I was really planning on getting it into this like, um, you know, teaching actual courses through it. Um, I, I had different people that I wanted to bring as an, as an instruct as instructors and kind of have this kind of cooperatively owned university structure. Something like um, something like that. Uh, well, uh, something like that, except more, um, more, more free flowing. I, I think the um, though the one thing I was looking at was really getting people to um, identify like what is uniquely theirs at the beginning. And and that's something that I think more people need to realize is you really should start from like who you are at your core and and build your business uh, and any content from that. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't quite get the level of excitement from other people that I thought I might. I I did the whole ADHD thing of like, oh, it's going to be this huge thing. And I'm going to send out this email to people and like get them involved and like, you know, they're all just going to like jump on board and then nobody did. And I was like, okay, well, let's rethink that a little bit. Um, so for now, it's kind of just me putting out um, different things that, that I learn as I go. Um, I'm trying to get more YouTube videos out there. Um, I, I need to do a better job at it being somewhat consistent in that. Um, I have a uh, podcast for that one as well that I, I did it was going to be a daily one for a while and that became a bit much to maintain um so I haven't posted any new episodes on that in a while but I, I I'll get back to that once I get some of these other things built that can streamline it just maybe not daily you can you um, can have a, your own AI spokesperson you know that, well that's that you know there, there is something about that and I think there is, um, and they're actually very good they are um and, and you know so i think there there is uh some you know potentially interesting ideas there um but i i, I am going to have a course at some point um and and i think the uh the the one so that there's going to be kind of the this overarching course of build your own internet um with kind of like i think different sub courses of kind of building out various aspects like search engines, social media. Um, and, and essentially the, the point of that is to get people thinking about the fact that every single aspect of their internet experience at this point is customizable. And most people don't customize it because they don't realize they can. Um, so for things like with, with effortless reach that I'm building, um, I'm actually going to teach people how to build up the the underlying technology that I use for that. Um, because again, I do want it interoperable. I, I want it to be able to kind of connect to um, various people's things. And so give it, if people don't want to necessarily give up access to, um, you know, their own data and content, and they don't want to like, you know, um, pay a, a service fee for using it. I think there is a, a, you know, working business model that 
Um, they don't need to, they can do it themselves. It's going to be a bit more work on their part, obviously, and getting it all set up, but it's all very doable um, and customizable. And so, you know, I kind of want to show people uh, what, what is possible through that. And um, yeah, I think, I think that there's, there's a lot of like teaching that I want to do. Um, one of the things I found really hard is like figuring out exactly like which parts I want to teach. Um, I, I did teach a course at, at one point on automation called supercharge your time. I did a cohort with uh, a, a few people um, right before I started with copy AI kind of uh, you know, figuring out how to do that. And I think there, there is some benefit to that. Um, but it's uh, I, I think that'll probably come a little later as I become a bit more established um, and figure out kind of the the material that's going to make the most sense to teach because uh, you know it's like with all the stuff I'm doing in, in very ADHD fashion there's there's a whole lot of different pieces going into it and so figuring out how to like turn that into something that um, kind of anybody can understand is a little trickier but uh, I'm working on it and I think I'll get there at some point. And on, on that note, I want to ask you, you do so many things, and I have two questions uh, that are related to this. You do so many things. Um, so I want to know, so I guess the question is, what motivates you to do those things and why you do it? And the second is, how do you find the time to do all of that? Um, so uh, as far as what motivates me, um, it really comes down to the fact that it's stuff that I believe needs to exist mm -hmm. and it's stuff that I'm having fun with. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, like a lot of the content I create is just, it's stuff that I like, I want to talk about. Um, and it means that I don't worry about things like search engine optimization in my writing. And I don't worry about like, niching down and, and doing all of these things um for me it's very much about just like doing whatever seems like fun at the time or like what am i thinking about um and, but but the other side of it is you know kind of as i've observed a lot of the ways that um big tech is structured and and you know kind of these uh larger tech companies exploiting people's data and things like that I, I really want to put um, control over that back into the hands of the individual. Um, and, and I think it's very easy to kind of give up a lot of this control because you think you need to um, in order to kind of get these services. Um, and, and the reality is like, I, I, I don't think you actually need to. I think it's possible to create kind of these new models. Um, I hate traditional advertising and the way they stuff ads into everything by kind of default. Um, and so I would love to kind of just destroy the traditional advertising industry, which, you know, that's always fun. So that, that's a bit of motivating, a bit motivating there too. But I think it's going to happen anyway, because it doesn't work. It's like, right. know, buy this, buy this. It doesn't work like that. And I know because I work no. in marketing, it doesn't work like that. Right. And that, and that's the thing, right? It's, it's been done so badly by so many people for so long now um 
it, it, everybody's just kind of becoming numb to it and ignoring it. Yeah. And so the cost of advertising are going up and up. Um, you know, people are trying to like interject advertising into more and more places. Like, no, that's like, we, we need to really settle down with that. And so getting people out of that advertising model um, is a big part of that. Um, as far as finding time, this is kind of the, the interesting piece to it for me because um, everything that I do is... Uh, essentially tied into each other piece of what I'm doing in some way. And so that allows me to kind of do what I feel like doing in the moment. So like, if I don't feel like doing this piece over here, I can procrastinate by doing this other piece over here that's still advancing the goal of getting done what I ultimately want to accomplish. Um, and so it's uh, kind of pitting ADHD against itself, if you will, um, in terms of allowing all of these things to move forward. Um, now that means that like some things aren't moving forward maybe as quickly as they could if I like, you know, sat down and focused on it. But um, by having all of these things kind of build off of each other, I'm very confident in this idea of like compounding things over time. And so all of the effort that I'm putting in is kind of building up and I'm looking very, very long-term with this. Um, and, and, you know, so on the span of like 30, 40, 50 years, potentially, um, it may seem like a lot of like disorganized mess, but it's all working towards this ultimate goal uh, of kind of empowering uh, the individual on the internet and giving them control over uh, whatever outcome they want. And, and so doing that in terms of you know, giving them tools on one hand, but also inspiring people, showing people what's possible, um, and sharing my story along the way to kind of, you know, open people up to the possibilities that exist because most people don't even know that they're out there. And I know that because for a long time I didn't. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, Leo, I really, really love this episode. I learned so much. I hope that the people listening who are scared of uh, AI are no longer scared. <laughs> um, uh, but before we we close off, I do want to ask you something. Uh, two things yes. in particular. One of them we didn't talk about once is your podcast. What can people expect uh, from listening to your podcast? And the other question that I want to do is, what I want to ask you that is, um, if I haven't asked you uh, anything that you wanted me to ask you, what would it be? Like, did I miss anything that you would like to say? Okay. So, um, so we'll start with, with the podcast. So, um, you know, with, with how to scale yourself, um, the, the main purpose of that podcast is just for me to talk with people and kind of get their stories. And so, uh, I, I tend to follow, um, this pattern of kind of three sections. So the first part of the episode is typically about um, where the person came from. And I think this is really interesting because it gives um, insight in, into like the, these people come from all over that I've talked to. And, you know, some that I, I knew previously, some that I didn't. Um, and, and there's kind of this, uh, it's always interesting to kind of hear what brought people to, to, to where they are today. Um, and then in, in, you know, kind of the middle, I, I, I like to dig into, um, what they're currently working on and why, um, and, and you know, what, what they, they've learned, um, kind of on that journey. 
And then to, to finish it up, I, I like asking for um, any insights they have into, uh, you know, things that they think people should know. Um, and particularly, I'm looking for uh, unexpected insights. So it's like things that like you thought you were going to learn um, are, are one aspect of it, right? Like, and when I'm like building a business, like I expect that I'm going to learn about marketing and, um, you know, how to actually like run a business and things like that. So you expect that there are things you're going to learn along the journey. But one thing I found is that there's typically at least one like thing that just came out of left field that you weren't expecting that you ended up learning. And so, you know, for me, that ended up being the fact that the the secret to to really scaling is to not worry nearly as much about the actual numbers. Um, and so, you know, for 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 my personal journey, I started off like super focused on like my numbers with everything, and. Um, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get this many views on, on like this blog post and it's going to do this, that, and the other. Um, and that would never turn out the right way, um, the way I thought it would. Right. And so what I've realized is it doesn't matter if I get those views anytime in the near future, because as I said, I'm working on this like much, much longer timeline now. And so by figuring out that things will compound a lot over time even if it's like you know one to two views right now or or whatever listens you know a couple downloads here and there of the podcast if i keep going i'm just going to get better at what i'm doing um i'm going to have more and more of a surface area for people to discover me and it's just all going to build on itself and then so if any one thing really hits in the future that's probably going to kind of spiderweb out to everything else. And so, you know, thinking of it that way has really allowed me to not focus so much on the numbers right now. And again, that kind of ties into how I do so many things at once it's because good for your mental health. <laughs> if you think about it, it, it is, it, it really is. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that, that I, I am a believer in those, those numbers and trying to play those games. And it's crazy. I see it on, on TikTok, for example. The, the the times that videos of mine went viral, it was just when I, I was like, I'm bored, I'm gonna make a video, and it's it's not even well thought of, and they go viral. Like it doesn't make sense. And it's crazy because I think that things are changing, you know, the curated feed, all of that. People don't like that. People like autodisity. So I think that things are changing, and I, I think they're changing for for, you know, for the good, because I prefer, uh, you know, someone who is authentic than, you know, super curated content that is not even real. So I think that, yeah, things are going to get better <laughs> in the future when it comes to uh, all of this, um, you know, uh, social media related things, content and, and all of that. Exactly. And really a lot of it right now is just, it comes down to the fact that the social media platforms are, getting people to behave in a way that is beneficial to the social media platforms and not beneficial to the other people on the social media platforms. And that's ultimately going to change because it's not sustainable. And that means that there's always room for competition um, in building, you know, building a better mousetrap, if you will. 
um you know there, there's there, there's always a chance to really improve people's experience and so that part is, is super exciting to me because i think uh yeah i think that is coming and and i and i plan on, on you know building for it because I, that that's the future i believe in Being the future that i want to see and you can do it because you, you, you can code so you can play your part in it but as users we can also play a part in it too by not doing what we're expected to do in a way you know exactly and you know it's really easy to play into the the games that the algorithms want us to play um and follow the the best practices to to get your views up which all of that's mostly beneficial to the platforms and not so much the user so if you instead spend that time focusing on the user it might take longer to be successful but um it's a success that can't be taken from you by the whim of the algorithm so mm -hmm. yeah true and besides i mean in in the future i think that most of the people who play by the algorithm uh i'm not saying all of them but most of them are just you know liars and you know there will come a point where people will see through them and it will not be good for them either so yeah just be raw and honest like it's not that hard. exactly that, that um, that's it it's it's not that hard it's uh um but it's not as immediately uh obvious that, that that's the beneficial way to go but people eventually figure that out yeah um it just usually takes time and now well i wanted to ask you is there any question i should have asked you that i didn't i, I don't think so i think we've covered um about everything i mean i could always you know talk maybe longer on, the on idea i didn't dig in into your past i would have liked to but i don't know with you know how to start i'm new to podcasting so i am gonna get better I do like that that um, that framework too. In fact, uh, my favorite podcast uh, has kind of like the same framework. They start, you know, uh, you know, from their childhood and then they move on. But yeah, it's 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 hard. You know, you don't know what to ask. But um, well, if you don't know any question, I would like to to ask you where does it all come from? If you had to look back, little Leo, uh, how do you think that anything in your childhood uh or in your teenage life uh made you become the person you are now like is there any particular thing um honestly uh my my love of reading um i used to read everything as a kid and i mean i read everything i would read all of my books i would read I just it was constant reading um it's actually kind of funny like as a, as a young kid i i used to like in school, I would read between words on my spelling test. Like the teacher would read off the word, I would spell it. And then I'd like try to get like a page or two in um, while waiting for the other kids to finish. And so, um, you know, it's it's that love of putting myself into different worlds. And then as it goes on, kind of um, the, this love of learning um, because there, there's so much out there and uh the internet will will feed me as much as i can possibly learn for as long as i want so um as long as i keep doing that i feel like i'll end up being successful because there's always more rabbit holes to to go down and more curiosities to explore um and uh yeah that that's i think it it really all stems from there and then you know kind of um realizing that the world is a much bigger place because of that because you know it's really easy to get stuck into to what you see around you but when you're used to um being in all sorts of worlds where all sorts of different things are possible then uh 
you, you see possibilities that most people don't. Yeah. And I think that's a very ADHD to, thing too. I mean, most of the people I know with ADHD, they're super curious. And I, I think the name needs to change. It's not an attention disorder. It's an interest disorder. <laughs> like I'm not interested about this right now. doesn't mean I'm not going to be interested about this maybe tomorrow in two years time. Uh, because me too, maybe, I, most people are always like, Mitchie, why do you ask so many questions? Like a, a few days ago, like I, I was a, a, on a vacation. I was asking so many questions and the guides were like, why is she asking so many questions? <laughs> like, you know, but any sort of question, like what type of three is this? And what's it, it, is it used for? And oh my God, not terrible. All, all the questions you can imagine, but it's just that, it's being curious, wanting to learn. It's just, yeah, it's curiosity. You want to know things. Exactly. So it's actually and, it's a superpower, the ADHD thing. I don't know. I mean, it's hard when you want to constantly, you know, focus on something in particular, but uh, it's in some ways it's good because it, it makes you curious. Exactly. And that, that curiosity, like ADHD itself may not be a, a superpower, but curiosity certainly yeah, is. It is. Exactly. Okay, Leo. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really, really enjoyed this episode. I learned a lot. I hope people uh, listening uh, are learning too. I'm going to leave all the links below so they can join uh, the public university structure to the, your courses and everything else that we discussed. So thank you for being here. Um, and yeah, and anyone else go Oh, And for anyone else, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter is the best place. Okay. So we'll, we'll drop Twitter profile. That's uh, that's where I'm most active. And uh, yeah, feel free to, to shoot me a message. I'm always happy to get into conversations. So. Okay, I can vouch for that. Okay, Leo, thank you so much for being here today. Bye. Oh, thanks for having me.